Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much and welcome to Growing Your Wealth from Madrona Financial and CPAs, where we give you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and comprehensive planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, president of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Oh, always glad to hear that. I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Another good show lined up for us today, but before we get to that, Brian, as always, I want to remind people that uh, Growing Your Wealth is indeed a podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, simply go there and search Growing Your Wealth, Brian Evans. You'll find around 168 episodes right there, and there's bound to be one that applies to you. Or if you can't hear the whole show today and you wish you did, you can hear it right now as a podcast. Once again, go to wherever you get your podcast and search Growing Your Wealth. Well, Brian, not a lot different in the news today, the financial news that is. I wanted to start off the show by uh, talking about a little stat that I read. The PPI, the Producers Price Index, which measures inflation before it hits consumers, rose at the fastest pace since March. It's now 11.3%, which means that the people who are buying these goods that we buy have to pay 11.3% more. Inflation right now running at 9.1%. Do you think that inflation, the PPI and the CPI is underestimated on purpose, is intentional? Uh, yeah, I hate to say it, but yes, I've been saying that all year that um, it's being underreported. And every time they come out with the inflation figures, they say it exceeded the expectation. I'm like, no kidding. <laughs> that's intentional. It, that's why it's so consistent. It's not that these people are dumb. Uh, we got supposedly the best economists in the world, and they're always surprised. They're always surprised. They're always surprised. You know, it's it's crazy to me. And there's a couple of reasons here. I think a lot of the stuff uh, where the media reports what they want to report, of course, so they're looking to report stuff that is salacious and, and that kind of thing. And politicians that are in office want to say everything's okay. Don't look at the man behind the behind the cape there or whatever. They don't want anybody to be alarmed. And sometimes I wish they'd just rip the Band-Aid off mm-hmm. and just say, look, inflation's bad and it's going to be worse. It's going to continue to be worse. Yes, we're probably in a recession and that truth will come out too. But here's what we're doing about it. I wish we could do that, but evidently we can't. So we'll just keep saying it's transitory or it's or the Fed will control it at 2% was one of what they used to say. I was, uh, I was like, no, they can't control it at uh, 2%. That's not possible. Or uh, just tell us, you know, what the real deal is. Then we have to look at these measurements that think about this, the, the consumer price index, we would call that a lagging indicator. A recession is a lagging indicator. You're already in it. You already had this. This is old stuff. And one of the things I'm hearing is, oh, because it's a lagging indicator, it's not as bad as you think. No, it's going to be worse. It is. So that's the CPI. The PPI, Producers Price Index, is not so much of a lagging indicator. It's more of a current indicator and potentially a forward-looking indicator. One of the alarming things is that you just mentioned it's higher 
than the consumer price index, mm-hmm. uh, the inflation in that. Well, that's wholesale costs. Well, don't wholesale costs get marked up? Yeah. I mean, that's not a one-for-one. One. Somebody is selling a goods and service is paying $10 more for that widget. They're not going to charge you $10 more. They're going to charge you $20 more. They got to cover their overhead and profit and, and so forth. So we're going to see, I think, with producer price index going up that much, I think the number would be much higher that's going to be passed along to consumers. So as we get new numbers, do not be surprised if the consumer price index continues to exceed expectations because we aren't getting the analysis, the proper analysis reported to us. And whether that's the the economists, the politicians, reporters, I don't know. I I don't want to cast blame on where it's coming from. I just know that every time I hear that, I just shake my head and go, of course, it's higher than you guys thought. And Brian, I understand that the corporate earnings report is going to be coming out soon. Any prognostications on that? Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, we might see some drops in corporate earnings or certainly slowing down a growth. There's no question about that. But corporations can adjust to price changes more easily, I think, than consumers. So when I think about the uh, earnings reports, I'm not so concerned about the corporations. It's the poor people out there that their earnings report would be down because they were making X and uh, now they're paying out X times 1.2 or whatever inflation truly is. And so their outflow is increasing a lot. Their income is not. And so we're seeing, for instance, inflation is really low. That's a lagging indicator. As the Fed raises rates and, and slows down the economy on purpose, then we're going to see inflation Well, uh, jobs, we've seen a huge increase. It's not being reported much, but huge increase in first-time applications for unemployment. That's actually more the forward indicator. That's what we're looking at going forward is not, oh, it's, it's low unemployment last month. Okay, great. What about next month? What about the month after? If we're seeing this, we're going to see a slowdown there. And when the Fed raises rates and really tries to stall the economy as much as they can, which I could get into, you know, that we're still hearing about bills to pump more money into the system. I don't think we can blame Putin for inflation forever. No, no. And pumping money in the system is the root cause of inflation in this case. Uh, I read a lot of articles and people are, you know, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's your bent? Are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you with Fox? Are you with CNN? <laughs> you know, I, I gave up reading because I'm like, well, everybody has their, their yeah. angle here. They want us to believe. Right. And so I'm looking at that going, well, I know that gas prices went up before Ukrainian war and all that. I know that that contributes to it, but I also know we pumped trillions of dollars into an economy and then tried to pump a few trillion more. And thankfully that didn't happen because you would have seen some amazing high inflation if we had all that money pumped back into the economy. Well, when this earnings report does come out, I think it's going to peel back the curtain a little bit on, uh, you know, how corporations are faring in this environment. A lot of people, when this earnings report comes back, they may be even more scared about staying in the market. And I have heard some advisors advise their clients that you should just wait this out. So how do you know when you should just wait the market out and uh, go to safer investments? Yeah, I am concerned. Certainly the market is a concern, but there's two directions that we're pulling here. Let me explain. One is a lot of people would say that the market has already priced in everything. Uh, We're in a recession, everybody. It hasn't been reported yet. We're in one. Uh, It'll come out that we're in a recession. Okay. But much of that's been priced in the market, a lot of people would say. That's that's why it's down 20-something percent, is it's been priced in. So it shouldn't necessarily go down just because they're going to finally give it a name. (laughs) 
that drop, that, that it's a recession. And so that's, that's one side of the coin. But the flip side of that is if the Fed is successful in slowing down the economy and unemployment is up and inflation is persistent, which I expect it will be, then people will be spending less. They won't be buying as many goods and services. They won't have as much to spend on other goods and services. And consumer spending accounts for 70% of our GDP. So if you have a big drop in the 70%, that's going to hurt the GDP. That's, that's why I'm saying we're in a recession, one of the reasons. And so that's a negative. So the positive is, well, it's already priced in. The negative is there's more bad news to come that we haven't even been talking about. So uh, it's very difficult. Now, recently I recorded my quarterly market update, and I mentioned that if you're in the market and you have some bad years, and there's always good years too, it doesn't matter what order they come in. If you start at a certain place and the early years are bad and the late years are good, or the early years are good and the late years are bad, that's called sequence of return. It doesn't matter if you're in the market and you're staying in the market. So if you're in the market, I would suggest, and you're going to be there long term, then you might not want to panic here because uh, if you believe the markets will be higher, that's a good place to be. Now, where it matters is when you're taking money out of that account. So that same scenario, if you have bad years in the beginning and you're taking money out, say monthly draws, now you're going to be in big trouble based on the sequence of return risk that you're taking. So one of the strategies to combat a high inflation, maybe a a lingering recession or, or a stock market that's dropped or all that stuff, one of the strategies is to make sure that the income that you're receiving from your portfolio is not being pulled from your stock market component while that's happening. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs about the effect of inflation. Brian, we've had some interest rate hikes this year. We're bound to have some more, and that affects safe money, things such as CDs and money markets. But even if those interest rates go up in those vehicles, it really doesn't really make that much difference because they're still quite low. Yeah. And, you know, going back to what I was just talking about is, you know, staying in the market if you're not pulling money out. Well, one reason why you might not want to have as much in the market is I'm not pulling money out, but I just don't like being in it this much. That's fair. Okay, that's a fair assessment that that you personally are at a point in your life where you don't need the stock market money. You don't have the sequence of return risk, but you just don't want to have that much in it. And that's where we're seeing a lot of shifts right now. I'm getting a lot of calls from people that are saying, I have too much in the market. I was riding high. I have, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100% in the market. I would like to pare that back down, take less risk. I'm, I'm too nervous all the time. I'm watching too much of this, of the business channels. I'm worried too much. My relationships are home routes. All I talk about is the market, you know, all the, all the negatives, you know, and it's like, can we do something to solve that? Uh, yes, you can. And, and, you know, the typical investor has cash, CDs, money markets to pick from. That's all they can do. And as you just mentioned, even if those rates are up, they're not up much, especially compared to inflation. Not even close. And so now you're going, well, that's not so great. It's better than losing money in the market, but it's not so great either. So the other alternatives, of course, is through a licensed insurance person like ourselves in the fixed annuity space, which pay generally much higher than a CD. Uh, The fixed index annuity space, I've never seen rates as high as they are right now since I've been uh, using them for over 10 years. And so some people are saying, 
Gosh, uh, why not just take a lot of risk off these fixed index annuities for accumulation purposes can protect me against losses and I don't have to worry so much. I don't have to have so much at risk all the time. I think they can be a great solution from that. One of the issues is, you know, will they beat inflation? No. I don't know what will. You know, when the, when inflation's double digits, it's hard to say, oh, my stock market's going to beat that. And, you know, well, we might be in a, re- a difficult time period for the stock market. You're not going to beat that in anything. So what you do is try not to lose by as much. Right, right. And so that's where the fixed index annuities certainly can contribute to that objective. We're talking with Brian Evans here. Our program is called Growing Your Wealth, and we're talking about inflation and its effects on you. Imagine a couple of years from now, you're at the beach sitting there enjoying yourself. You check your phone and the markets are down. The news is panicking and you smile. You know why? Because you know you are set. You took the initiative and you made sure your financial plan had deep enough roots. Do you know how deep your financial roots are? Well, you can find out by going to Madrona Financial and taking our Rooted Wealth Analysis quiz there. There's a little button called Get Started. It'll only take you a couple of seconds. So do that today to find out how deep your financial roots are so you can be that person at the beach that is smiling when you look at the phone because the markets aren't going to affect you that much because you had deep financial roots. Once again, go to Madrona Financial, click on the Get Started button and take your Rooted Wealth Analysis. Growing Your Wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about the effects of inflation on different investments. And Brian, there are a lot of things you can do yourself. I mean, I installed a dishwasher once in my house and it was quite successful. You could power wash your deck, that sort of thing. But when it comes to your finances, I'm not sure that it's a good idea to do that yourself, although there are a lot of people who do. So let's talk about the effects of inflation for do-it-yourselfers. Do-it-yourselfers can acquire a lot of things on their own without the service of an advisor, and among them is mutual funds. How does inflation affect a do-it-yourselfer when it comes to mutual funds? Yeah, in this segment, you know, I want to definitely talk about the do-it-yourselfer investors and, and that topic. I did want to point out that there's a lot of financial advisors out there. I've heard them, and they're kind of arrogant. They're like, oh, you have to go to me because I'm so smart. And it's like, I've met a lot of really smart do-it-yourself investors in my time. There's a lot of people that don't need a financial advisor. If they're picking their own individual stocks or and they want to just be in equities, then by all means, do it. You don't necessarily need an advisor for that. There's a lot of financial instruments, though. You have to go through a licensed professional. That's why I'll talk about them separately from the do-it-yourself investors. So the first thing you asked me was mutual funds. How are they affected? So mutual funds can be either groups of, of in, individual stocks. They can be groups of bonds. They can be anything. There's 10,000 you know, mutual funds or I don't know how many. There's a lot of them out there. And so they're just a conglomeration of many different holdings within the particular fund type that you're in. How are they affected? Well, certainly bond mutual funds have had a tough year because interest rates have risen. Well, stock mutual funds have had a tough year. U.S., foreign, large cap, mid cap, small cap, pretty much everything's had a tough year unless you're maybe in the energy sector. 
Uh, that's about it that's done well this year. So inflation, how is that going to affect it? As I mentioned uh, in the last segment, that if 70% of the GDP is predicated on consumer spending and consumer spending is going to go down, which might mean that sales, corporate sales are down, which could affect their stock prices and so forth. All of this has effect. And if rates are going up, you're losing money on bonds, you might have a blended mutual fund. There's a lot of negative implications to inflation with mutual funds. So, Brian, all that being said, what are some of the other detriments to mutual funds? Yeah, the biggest uh, one of the biggest detriments is that they have sometimes high internal fees, much higher than ETFs, which we'll talk about in a second. Or they might have a sales load. If you're going through a financial advisor, you go to the strip mall person, they're going to put you in mutual funds. Generally, they're going to put you in a mutual fund with a sales load of five, six percent right off the bat, and so that's that's nasty. I mean, you go in there with a million dollars, you walk out of there, and you're fifty-seven thousand short. You're going, well, that wasn't that didn't feel very good. So yeah, you have to be careful with mutual funds. Also, you're buying other people's capital gains. There's a lot of reasons why most mutual funds are not something I would necessarily employ, but you might be in them, and I just you know just make sure you understand the internal costs of these two. We're talking about do-it-yourselfers and the effects of inflation on doing it yourself. Next one here is exchange-traded funds, Brian. Yeah, I would say a lot of the same things about uh, ETFs as I would mutual funds. ETFs generally are have lower internal fees. More of them are indexed and have very low internal fees, in fact. Uh, they're more index funds, whereas more mutual funds are, hey, we're smarter than the, the market. We've got Joe Worthington, you know, picking stocks and he's done it for 92 years. You know, they, they have some proprietary algorithm or whatever. They got something about theirs that they say, we're smarter than the market. We're going to outpick it. Generally speaking, they're not right, especially after fees. Every study shows that. But ETFs can be a clean way to get into indexes, sub-indexes, uh, sectors, all that stuff. But then you got to find the right sectors and to get into and out of. And they're more tax efficient than mutual funds. So, Brian, when it comes to individual stocks, how does inflation affect the do-it-yourselfer there? Yeah, uh, with the individual stocks, now this is probably the most risky of all the asset classes we'll talk about. Because I'm talking about not an individual stock in your portfolio. I'm talking about a high concentration where, you know, I might meet somebody that has, oh, I've got 80% of my money in Microsoft or Boeing or whatever it is. Uh, When you have a high concentration, you're taking max risk. You also may have maximum returns because you might have picked the right stock. Oh, I've been in Amazon for 20 years. Oh, you're probably a rich person right now. Oh, I've been in Washington Mutual. Oh, yeah, that went away, didn't it? So, you know, you're you're taking uh, uh, more risk. A lot of individual do-it-yourselfers do better than financial advisors because they are willing to take that risk. As financial advisors, I often explain to people that we can't take that kind of risk for most of our clients. I can't just go, you know, I really like this stock. I think I'll just put all of my clients' money into it, including my 90-year-old widow and and, uh, the 40-year-old. I'm just going to put it all into some GameStop or whatever. I can't do that. I'm held to a responsibility to, to not put too much into any one thing. Whereas an individual investor, they can do anything they want. So we've seen some real success stories that. We've seen some real disasters with that. The question was, though, how does inflation affect that? Inflation affects companies' returns. They absolutely, when you're overweighted in something, when you have a concentration, you better be an economist, be able to read financial statements, understand the industry, understand the effects of inflation in the market of which your industry is in, have the losses already been priced in. Don't just be buying stocks that, oh, it went up way up last year. I think 
think I'll buy it this year. Well, you should have bought it a, light, a year ago, not now, or vice versa. So be real careful when you have a high concentration. You're playing with fire a little bit sometimes, which is okay if you're successful in retrospect. But uh, you can be playing with fire. And with inflation, it can have a dramatic effect on your individual stock holdings. Brian, with inflation north of 9% at this point, how does that affect a do-it-yourselfer when it comes to cash, cash equivalents, and money markets? Well, I do see a lot of people saying, well, I, you know, I got out of the market or whatever. I'm in cash or I'm in a CD. And they just aren't paying much. And they feel like, well, it's paying more than it used to. But if I'm losing you know, 10% on my buying power, uh, that doesn't feel like a win to me. And well, it's not. And certainly they don't have access individually to the parts of the investment world that can pay a much higher return without any risk. So that's where it falls short. Um, you know, I certainly running into a lot of people with cash right now that want a better solution going forward. And they're saying, uh, let's not add to the market. I've got a bunch of cash. What do you recommend? Those are folks we can absolutely help. Well, with cash and money markets and CDs and that sort of thing, I think the big advantage to those is that they're completely safe. They're also liquid. But are there other alternatives that would be safe and somewhat liquid as opposed to cash and money markets and CDs? Well, certainly uh, the annuities tend to be 10% liquid each year. But I have been talking people out of annuities, too, because I've been talking to people going, well, you know, maybe I'm, I'm sitting on a bunch of cash and I'm thinking about paying off my house, or I'm thinking about waiting for a bargain to come along, or waiting for, uh, I'm thinking about helping my kid into a, a new house. I'm thinking about moving to someplace. I might have to spend more on that house. I've been talking people out of fixed index news because they aren't as liquid as cash or money markets or short-term CDs. And so a lot of my discussion is, let's just not invest that until you've made a decision. Yeah, but aren't I losing to inflation? I said, well, you could have decided to put it in the market. You'd be losing to inflation and whatever the market's down this year. Sometimes being even, even losing to inflation is your best option, especially if you need to be liquid for a period of time. I'm not talking 20 years liquidity. If they said, well, I don't need the liquidity for 20 years, I'm like, okay, well, then there are lots we can do or 10 years or even five years. But if it's five months, then I'm saying, well, let's just not invest that at all. Let's have it liquid and available for you. We're talking with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial on our program, Growing Your Wealth, about the effects of inflation for the do-it-yourselfer. We talked about mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, individual stocks, cash, money markets, and cash equivalents. Let's switch over now for the typical advisor and the effect of inflation when using a typical advisor with fixed annuities. Yeah, so we're saying, all right, what things can an advisor get for me that I can't on my own? And uh, I said typical because uh, we certainly can put people in all of these, and most advisors can and, and are comfortable with that. So fixed annuities, think of a longer-term CD with a higher interest rate. That's how I look at fixed annuities. They tend to have longer terms than CDs, and they tend to pay more, and it's a fixed amount. They'll tell you if whatever X percent is, they'll pay you. You go, huh, that's more than I get with anything I've seen. That's right, and you lock it up for a little bit longer. Again, they're usually 10% liquid a year. So if you put 200000 into one, you could pull 20 grand a year out if you needed it without any surrender fees. Uh, then you got fixed index annuities for accumulation. Same concept, higher potential rate of return. And then you got fixed index annuities for lifetime cash flow, which is a whole different animal than an accumulation product like a CD or a fixed annuity or a fixed index annuity for accumulation. This is uh, more akin to buying a pension where you're putting money into something so you could get a monthly check for the rest of your life. 
All right, Brian. So let's talk about the inflationary effect of that. Okay. So the fixed annuity can't really go up uh, if, if we have inflation. So even though it's better than maybe a CD, you're still going to lose to inflation. It's better, but it's not great necessarily. It's, it's okay. The fixed index annuities, as I've told you, uh, I haven't seen higher rates since I've been selling them for over 10 years. And so there's no perfect investment. But if I want to save money, I don't need uh, all of the liquidity right away. That's my go-to right there. On the fixed index annuities for lifetime cash flow, very important to consider increasing lifetime cash flow annuities. I have seen other advisors selling these flat rate, flat payout uh, annuities for the whole time I've been doing it. And that's kind of their go-to. It's never been my go-to because I was worried about inflation. Now, we didn't have any for many years, have much inflation at all for many years. But we do now. And me and my clients are very happy. We picked those annuities that had the potential for increasing lifetime cash flow, especially now that we're in an inflationary environment. So inflation has a big effect not only on the selection of the annuity, but the rider that says I can have increasing lifetime cash flow versus a fixed payout lifetime cash flow. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs about the effects of inflation on different types of investments. If you want to see if your financial plan and retirement have the roots that run deep enough to thrive for 30 plus years, request your rooted wealth analysis. Go to madronafinancial.com, click on the get started button. Once you fill out the basic information, it'll take about 30 seconds. You'll be able to schedule your rooted wealth analysis call and see what it takes from advisors and CPAs to build a retirement designed to last 30 plus years. Go to madronafinancial.com, click on get started today. It's not going to cost you a dime. That is madronafinancial.com. Want more strategies that can help support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years? Well, stick around. We'll be right back with more Growing Your Wealth. Big trees fall when storms hit because they don't have deep enough roots. The same goes with your finances. Your quality of life depends on how deep your financial roots are today, tomorrow, and for years to come. If you want to learn how to design your retirement to last 30 plus years, then grab your copy of 7 Steps to a Successful Retirement by calling Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to continue our discussion about how inflation affects different investments. And Brian, using the typical advisor, we have talked about fixed annuities, fixed index annuities. But I want to talk about something that we talked about before on the show, which I find interesting. And that is the FIUL, the Fixed Index Universal Life Policy. Yeah, the FIUL, uh, the effect of inflation on that, a little bit different than the others. The FIUL is going to be done primarily for income tax reasons. So, you know, one thing I haven't talked about is the future of income tax rates going up, too. That's a different kind of inflation when you think about it. You know, there's the money coming in and and then uh, what's going out. Well, what's going out is what you spend money on. You think, oh, inflation, inflation, inflation. But we borrowed a lot of money. And another thing that may inflate are income tax rates. So a little different spin on the inflationary effects on the uh, fixed index universal life to provide some protection from inflating income tax rates. I don't think there's a huge correlation to consumer spending type inflation, but there is to the potential inflation of income tax rates. So, Brian, that's the FIUL or the Fixed Index Universal Life. Now, there may be people listening to us who don't know what an FIUL is. Describe briefly what the benefits are of using such an investment instrument. 
Yeah, it's basically a hybrid. So uh, you heard the, the term life insurance in there. So people think, oh, when I die, somebody gets paid. Well, yeah, that can be uh, the, the underlying attribute of a fixed index universal life. But what it does add is a investment component to it. And that investment component can be used to fund monthly, say, monthly checks to yourself in retirement where you're borrowing against your own future death proceeds. And when you get that money, it's income tax free. And when you pass away and the loan is paid off and the residuals paid to your heirs, that's income tax free too. And so it's a strategy that is allowed by the IRS that allows us to combine probably more. You know, I say every investment has benefits and detriments on this show all the time. This one probably has about as many benefits as anything I know of because they generally have a floor on the investments annually so you, you don't go backwards. You got life insurance during your life. You can take cash flow in retirement. That cash flow can be tax-free. The ultimate payout of life insurance proceeds to your heirs is tax-free. There are a lot of benefits to an FIUL. One of the detriments is that you have to pass through physical mm-hmm. to even get it. You're, you're going to go through a health screening. And if you're too old, you don't have time on your side. These things need time. This is like planting a, a forest, not a strawberry patch. You know, this takes a little bit more time. So how old would you have to be before an FIUL is not a possibility for you? Oh, it's kind of a case by case. But uh, once you hit 60, probably I'm, I'm not bringing it up so much. I would think that 60 might be a cutoff for those. Okay. And once again, you have to qualify for it medically. We're talking with Brian Evans here, inflation effects on the do-it-yourselfer, the typical advisor. Let's talk about the inflation effects for the clients of Madrona Financial and CPAs. First off, Delaware Statutory Trust, passive real estate. Yeah, and here on, we're, we're going to be talking about investments that are typically not used by most financial advisors that you'll ever talk to. And I'm going to compare them to the strip mall you know, advisor or, or even the ones in the big downtown offices. Most of them do not use Delaware Statutory Trust. I'm just going to say that. Most advisors do not. A vast majority. We do a ton of them. So how, how do they uh, help in an inflationary environment? Well, uh, some of the DSTs that I've seen, real estate has not, commercial real estate has not been too negatively affected. Most of the underlying loans of the DSTs are fixed rate loans. So the in- increase in interest rate didn't hurt the investors. A lot of the DST investments are in multifamily apartments, self-storage, things are short-term leases, anything like that. They can up the rents and have, and I've seen a lot of increases in rents, which increases the value of the DSTs. So it's one of the rare categories that because inflation actually helped a lot of my DSTs underlying fair market value, which most things are damaged or hurt. Most financial investments are damaged in an inflationary and rising interest rate environment. A lot of my DSTs, I I won't say that's a fact now. There might be some areas of the market that didn't benefit from this, anything with a longer-term lease perhaps, or anything that had default risk, uh, maybe office buildings or medical office buildings, that kind of thing could have some default risk in there. But DSTs, uh, I'm just going to say, generally speaking, have fared well in an inflationary environment. And with DSTs, many times they are invested in things such as residential real estate and, as you said, storage units. And we know that inflation affects those things. I mean, rent increases across the country are quite astounding. I have even read recently that there are bidding wars now in the rental market. Oh, boy. 
I don't want to hear that. Yeah, they're bidding wars. <laughs> we just went through that with the housing market around here. I now rentals? On the rentals. Yeah, with the increase in interest rates, it's going to drive people out of the housing market that they were going to buy a house. Now they're going to rent apartments, and you get too many people renting, wanting to rent the same nice apartments. They're going yeah. to bid, bid it up, I guess. So that's exactly what would happen. So that's Delaware Statutory Trust and how inflation affects those. How about premium finance life insurance? First of all, define that and then tell us how inflation affects that. Yeah, that's just like the fixed index universal life I was just discussing. The only difference is the couple things. One is you're you're having the bank actually pay your premiums for you, and the premiums are large. These are not for the average investor. These are for wealthy folks, people with millions and millions of dollars of assets outside their principal residence. So where somebody can use these, it's, it's essentially using OPM, other people's money, the bank's money to make a premium payment. You're just paying the interest on it. So it's leverage. If you're familiar with you know, successful real estate people, they leveraged into real estate. People leverage themselves into companies. They take a loan secured by whatever they're buying. This is leveraging into a life insurance policy that's a big life insurance policy that could have big payments to you in your retirement that are tax-free or big payouts to heirs someday that can be income tax and estate tax-free using irrevocable life insurance trusts. So it's an advanced topic for the more wealthy people, and it has a lot of positive attributes. Not so much, again, consumer price index-oriented, but income tax inflation-oriented. We're talking about the effects of inflation with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And we're talking about Madrona Advisors and the effects it would have on things such as private non-traded equity REITs. That's our next one. Yeah, so we're going to get into the equity REITs, uh, and I'm, I purposely do private non-traded because those are something we offer uh, that you cannot buy on your own if you're a do-it-yourself investor. You have to go through a financial advisor. You can buy publicly traded REITs, but they're very highly correlated to the stock market. So private non-traded REITs, again, much like my discussion on DSTs, they, they often buy kind of the same stuff. But the private non-traded REITs generally are much, much larger than a DST, have a lot more diversity of assets. So you don't have to pick the one asset class. With a DST, you're picking one thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I decided to buy an Amazon warehouse distribution facility. I decided to buy into a multifamily apartment in Texas. You're picking one asset generally. With the private non-trader REITs, uh, I've got one that has thousands of properties, and it, it's you know, multifamily and self-storage and data centers and you name it, it has it, uh, industrial parks, whatever, and you can have a big diversity. And so some of the stuff in there is, is benefiting from inflation, some is not. So you have kind of have a more of a mutual fund effect going on, but it's not correlated to the stock market. So even with the market dropping, you see uh, publicly traded REITs dropping in value accordingly, whereas some of the private non-traded REITs will have a very different reaction. So those are the equity REITs. Let's talk about inflation and the effect on private non-traded debt REITs. Yeah, the inflation can, on the positive side, if you have debt REITs is where essentially you're being the bank and you're lending to middle markets or secured real estate through a company that's that's running that that fund. So they have lots of money that's going out there and you're you're getting your share of the interest. Now, if that's a floating rate variable kind of thing, I think we're okay in this inflationary and interest rate increasing environment. If it was fixed, you're probably not as okay. You also have to be concerned now, something we haven't talked about in a long time is default risk. 
we're going to see, you know, times were going great when we were pumping trillions of dollars into the economy and interest rates were low and inflation was low and the market was going up, real estate's going up, bidding wars, everything was, you know, we go back a year, year and a half, two years. Everything was great. Nobody was talking about defaults on anything back then. Now I'm starting to hear uh, that, and that can affect credit instruments like private non-traded debt REITs. Next one on the list, Brian, is structured notes and buffered ETFs. First of all, a brief uh, definition of what each of those are. Let's start with structured notes. Yeah, they're a synthetic, I'll call it, investment. It's something created by banks where they follow certain indexes and will give you a return based on those indexes. I won't get too into the weeds here. It's a very complicated area. The desire of them is to provide some protection in a down market over a period of time. And on the upside that you would be able to capture much of the upside in a good time, but not all of it. And you won't capture all of the downside in a bad time. So that that's kind of the, the basic 40,000-foot view on them. There's something that's put together by the financial advisor that uses them and understands them. So I think that can be a good thing uh, for just having some level of protection in any environment, uh, especially where we think we might have a recession due to inflation. And we might, what if the market drops 20%? Well, if your buffer or your structured note has a buffer of 20%, then maybe it's absorbed and you didn't lose any money in that case over that period of time. So it can be a way to combat a volatile market to some degree. It doesn't eliminate risk, but it's a way to combat it. Certainly, if you want to come in, I can't get into any specifics on the radio, just kind of general, very 40,000 foot view on these things. But they're instruments to designed to kind of work with a more volatile market on the upside or on the downside. And again, that's a very good point that you mentioned there, Brian, is that this is general information. It is not meant to be specific investment advice. Our program is for general information. If you want advice for your particular situation, of course, you should come in for a no-cost, no-obligation sit-down with the advisors and CPAs here at Madrona Financial. Speaking of which, you know, the market is volatile these days. That's no secret. But how do you survive a volatile market like this and get through basically unscathed? And what I mean by that is you're not devastated. You're just annoyed when the market goes down. Well, that is to have deep enough financial roots. To check how deep your financial roots are, go to Madrona Financial. Click on the Get Started button to see how deep your financial roots are. It'll only take you about 30 seconds, and it could give you a lot of great information that you didn't know about how deep your financial roots are. Once again, MadronaFinancial.com. Click on the Get Started button to take your rooted wealth analysis. Stay tuned for more Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show you can't afford to miss. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about different listener questions we've received. That's right. We're going to call these short shots, Brian. We always invite our listeners to speak back to us, tell us the things that they like or don't like about the show, and specifically some of the things that they would like us to cover. So we're going to try to get to as many of these as we can in this segment. So, Brian, we have had listeners ask about passing on inheritance to kids. They have questions about that. 
Yeah, one of the things I would advise on that is be careful about just giving money. I've had people say, yeah, I've got uh, my kids' accounts, but they were set up. We gift them money, but now we need that money back. We needed some liquidity to buy a house or do something, whatever it is. I'm like, you can't undo it. Mm-hmm. You can't. There are no takebacks. That money's theirs. Yeah, but they're, you know, turning 21. They're just going to blow it. I'm like, yep, that may be the case. It's theirs to blow. And so people are surprised they can't have a takeback sometimes. So sometimes it's better not to gift uh, if you need to maintain control, and then you can dole it out as, as you see fit. But if you do want to pass on money to children, what's the right way to do that to make sure that they use it for the right things? Well, you can put money into trust, but again, if you give money to your kids at 21, it's theirs. They can do it whatever they want. And so some people do it for estate tax uh, reasons, and that's a different thing. But if you're going to do that with any uh, large sums of money, uh, make sure you talk to us about uh, how a trust could be involved. And with a trust, as you said, you can make sure that the kid gets a certain amount at 21. I mean, can you roll it out to a certain amount at 35 and 50, that sort of thing? Yeah, you can pretty much do whatever you want with a trust. Okay, so that is a good tip for passing on inheritance to kids. Next one is a pretty basic question, and I think uh, pretty broad. What should I do with my cash right now? Uh, you should keep it in cash if there's anything that you think you need it for, rainy day fund, potential whatever, you know, a new kitchen, whatever, a new car, whatever. Have enough money uh, that's liquid. Too many of my clients say, well, I've got some cash sitting around. i got to invest it. I'm like, well, how much you got? They have 50 grand. I'm like, well, don't you want to have a rainy day fund? Yeah, but I'm not making any money on it. Yeah, but if something doesn't, don't things come up in your life? Yeah, all the time. Keep it in the cash then. It's okay to have liquidity. Not every investment has to be uh, invested for growth all the time. So my advice on what you should do with your cash right now, keep it in cash unless you just say, yeah, I can't even think of anything I'd spend this particular amount on. Maybe that person says, yeah, I've got 500000 cash. I say, how much do you want to have around? Hundred grand, mm-hmm. and say, so what about the other four hundred? You gonna have anything you're gonna spend it on in the next two, three, four years? Nope, not a thing. Okay, we'll invest that money. So that's what if you got cash, then we could look at investing it in that situation. Now, I've heard some advisors say that you should have about six months of living expenses in cash. So you know, if you spend ten thousand dollars a month, that would be sixty thousand. Is that a good piece of advice, or is there any figure that you recommend having around? You know, that's a starting point, but how many times you you go along in life, you go, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. That big repair, that vacation, that car, that whatever. And so there's so many people say, well, I can't think of anything. I said, well, in the last three years, have you had any unusual expenses? And I'm like, yeah, like $200,000 worth. Yeah. I said, well, then why don't we have 260 put away, you know, if you need 60 for a living and, and you, you're likely to spend 200 on other stuff. You know, I'm just throwing out a number. It's probably less than that for most people. But point is that expect the unexpected. And I think the old adage, your situation may vary, really applies right there in so far as how much cash you should have on hand. Next one, Brian, is it better to have passive income or pull income from a portfolio? This one, uh, definitely passive income, in my opinion, than pulling income from a portfolio. We talked about that earlier in the show, sequence of return risk. The down market, the order of ups and downs doesn't affect your stock market if you leave it alone over a period of time. 
but it absolutely does if you're pulling money out of the stock market. So I'd much rather see your growth investments stay there and that you're not drawing down on them and your income investments be what's paying you to live on, which would be passive income from its various sources. We're talking with Brian Evans of Growing Your Wealth about uh, some of the comments that we get from our listeners and some of the things that they have questions about or they want us to talk about. How to stay invested in a down market. Now, that is one that I hear quite frequently these days, Brian. Yeah, that ties in the last question a little bit is you got to cover your income. And so if your pension, Social Security, rental income, real estate, REITs income, your fixed index annuities, your universal life, whatever it is, a combination of those that are paying you monthly cash flow is adequate, then there's probably no problem staying invested in a down market because you're not pulling out and not subjecting yourself to sequence of return risk. Brian, when you go into retirement, there, for many people, is an emotional loss that is involved with giving up a paycheck when you enter into retirement. Somebody else paying you versus you paying yourself. How do you handle that? You know, a lot of my clients are doing it in stair steps. So they're going to retire from their full-time job, and then they might go back to work as a consultant on a part-time basis to kind of ease into it a little bit, both from a financial consideration because, okay, I'm still making some money. I'm, I'm okay. But also from a non-financial consideration, it's it's hard to do a full stop for a lot of people, mostly the men. And for whatever reason, uh, they, they kind of that's kind of their thing. And they were they were working, you know, 40, 50 hours a week for their whole life. And now zero. That's generally hard on them. Probably hard, hard on their spouses, too, just having them around all the time going, I'm bored. What do you want to do? And like, <laughs> yeah. I want to go to yoga and have tea yeah. with my friend. I don't want to talk to you this morning. I got a routine, you know, just a little tongue in cheek there. But certainly there can be an emotional loss to the not only the, the work and the, the purpose of that, but the people that you know at work, the interactions with your customers and so forth. There can be a lot of loss there. So make sure you have something to replace that. Or, uh, as I mentioned, maybe go back part-time. Yeah, I can't imagine sitting home with my wife in retirement and doing nothing. I've got to have some place to go. So there is an emotional loss when you give up a paycheck and enter into retirement. Next one is what are required minimum distributions and how do you prepare for them? Well, at age 72, the IRS requires you to move some money from, as I call it, your left pocket to your right pocket. Your left pocket is your IRAs, your qualified accounts. Your right pocket is your non-qualified accounts. Uh, When you move it, they're going to grab some of it on the way there. Uh, It's called income taxes. And so just have a financial plan. Usually it's not a big deal. I mean, it starts out at about, I don't know, 3.7%. So if you had a million dollars in your retirement account, you might need 37000 to uh, move from left pocket to the right. Uh, they're going to take, you know, whatever. Let's say they took seven thousand in taxes. Now thirty-seven leaves your left, thirty hits your right. Now you got thirty thousand in your account. You can do with what you want. But that can be part of retirement planning. That may just be where you're required to take some money. Now, as we mentioned, though, where it comes from can matter. So if it's coming out of the stock market, be prepared that if we have a bad market, you're pulling uh, out when it's low. And what I like to do sometimes to uh, make that real is I take three $20 bills, I put them in my left pocket, I take them out in the middle, I drop one, <laughs> and then I put, <laughs> I put the $40 yeah. in the right pocket. That really uh, illustrates that point that you were trying to make there. The next one, is it good to maintain your principal balance throughout retirement? Well, I would, you know, clearly it's good to grow it. It's the second best would be maintain it for most people. However, I'll push back a little bit on this. What if you don't have any errors? Or what if your heirs are doing fine and don't really need to inherit your money someday? 
maybe it's okay to spend that down. That a lot of people won't do that. They say, "Well, I can't spend my principal." Why? Well, well, uh, I thought I was never supposed to spend principal. Well, why not? I mean, it would be okay to supplement your cash flow if you have enough over a period of time. Let's say you have an extra million dollars and you want to provide for 20 years, you take 50 grand a year out over that 20 years. Why not? I think a lot of us are are trained from an early age to think that we have to leave all of our money to our kids and not spend any on ourselves. And I just don't believe in that. So I believe for a lot of people, it is absolutely okay to spend down some of your principal. If you've done your financial plan, you have enough protection in your portfolio to do it with. We're discussing short shots here on Growing Your Wealth. These are listener questions that we've gotten over the past few months. Next one is how to tell if you have a good or a bad annuity. Uh, Have it analyzed. I mean, that's something easy for us to do. We can look at it and explain it to you. I would say that 95% of people don't understand the annuities. I'm being probably generous there. It's probably 99. Most people don't understand what annuity they have. I ask them, who's it with? They don't remember. Is it pay you cash hold for life someday? I don't know. What's the underlying index? What does that mean? You know, what's your surrender period? I, yeah, I don't know. I said, just send me a copy of the front page of it. So people send me a copy of their front page. We put it through an analysis and say, okay, this is what it is. And if we have a recommendation for changing it, we can often do that tax-free with a Section 1035 exchange. So, Brian, if they don't know the answers to those questions, is it because they forgot or is it because the person who sold them the annuity didn't bother to answer those questions for them? Yeah, that would be it. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's not that my clients are really smart. <laughs> if you told them something in, in an understandable way, they, they would probably know what it is. But this industry isn't great at explaining a lot of things sometimes. That's why we have this radio show for all these right, years. Right. And the next one, Brian, is one common and powerful gifting strategy that our listeners may not know. Well, let's see. Um, I'll do two of them. One is I want to give my church twenty grand a year, so I sell twenty five thousand of, of stock, and I pay the tax on the gain and five grand, and then I give the other twenty to the charity. Well, you could just give them twenty thousand of the stock directly, and they wouldn't pay any income tax. You don't have to sell twenty five to do that. So that's one way. Another is using RMDs. I want to give my charity twenty thousand a year. So I take money out of my qualified IRA accounts. I take twenty-eight grand out of that. I pay eight in tax, and I give them the twenty that's remaining. Well, you could have just given the twenty straight up, and they don't pay income tax on it, and you don't have to take that other eight and give it to the IRS. We're talking about common topics that listeners have asked us to talk about here on Growing Your Wealth. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss or you have a comment about our radio program, you can go to madronafinancial.com, email it to us from there. It's madronafinancial.com. You know, Brian, we've had some nice weather here this summer so far, but I know that the storms are going to come back later on in the year. And when they do, we may see those trees on their side because they did not have deep enough roots. Same applies to your financial plan. If your financial plan doesn't have deep enough roots, it could be subject to being uprooted by a financial storm. To check how deep your financial roots are, go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button to take your rooted wealth analysis. That's madronafinancial.com. Out of time this week, Brian, for our show. Thank you for your time. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. 
No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.